0: You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine and Director of the Digestive Disease Center at the Medical University of South Carolina, Dr. Mark DeLegge.
1: Because there are no early-stage symptoms of pancreatic cancer, patients usually aren't diagnosed with this terrible cancer until it's metastasized, and this accounts for the very high mortality rate associated with pancreatic cancer. Joining us to discuss pancreatic cancer and biomarkers for pancreatic cancer is Dr. David C. Wickham. Dr. Wickham is professor of medicine, chief of the Division of Gastroenterology and medical director of the Comprehensive pancreas program at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. David's going to be talking to us today about biomarkers for cancer of the pancreas and pancreatic cancer in general. Welcome, Dr. Wickham. It's great to be with you. David, I have a question for you to start off here. Is how large a problem is pancreatic cancer compared to other cancers, we'll say like colon cancer or breast cancer in the United States?
2: Well, pancreatic cancer is an important problem, not because it's the most common cancer, but because it's one of the most deadly. The latest results from the American Cancer Society for estimated new cancer causes and deaths in the United States has recently been uh, released, and the leading cancer deaths continue to be lung cancer, but what's interesting is that they're estimating that of the 37,000 new cases of pancreatic cancer that are diagnosed this year, there will be 34,000 deaths, and that ranks it just behind colon cancer, which has less than 50,000 deaths, and breast cancer at 40,000 deaths. So the number of deaths from pancreatic cancer is very close to both the colon and breast cancer, and it is higher than prostate cancer. So the problem of pancreatic cancer in the United States continues to grow, and the results continue to be uh, dismal. I think the two recent cases have illustrated that. One is Gene Upchaw, the football player who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died four days later. He had signs of unexpected weight loss and back pain, but by the time the diagnosis was made, it was almost over. And the other is the Carnegie Mellon University professor, Randy Posh, who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, saw it was incurable, and gave the famous last lecture where he recognized that he in fact, was a dead man walking and gave a talk about his life and what was important for posterity and for his children. And he also passed away. So we see that there is a major problem both in early detection and diagnosis and just inadequate treatment for this
1: important cancer. That's unbelievable. In fact, that's been my experience that this is just a deadly disease. I had no idea at the level of death in pancreatic cancer. Speaking of that, Has there been any improvement in the treatment of pancreatic cancer, we'll say, over the past 20 years?
2: Yes, there has. The improvement has mostly been in the realm of surgery. And patients who are diagnosed early and get surgical treatment before the disease becomes metastatic often have a five-year survival now of greater than 20%. And in some cases, there are small studies in which five-year survival with other adjuvant therapies are above 30%. So there is hope for early detection and early treatment of pancreatic cancer, especially with adjuvant therapy. The whole issue is, can we diagnose cancer early and refer them to surgery? The interesting fact was recently published, and that is that many patients with pancreatic cancer are never referred to surgery. And if a early cancer is not referred to surgery, then the prognosis turns out to be the same as a stage three to four cancer in which the patient's five-year survival is less than 5%. So even though surgery has shown to make a huge difference, many patients are never referred and they're allowed to die. And that's just a major problem that needs to be addressed.
1: So, you know, I'm used to the patient coming in and the proverbial horses out of the barn with pancreatic cancer. I think I hear what you're saying is that there may be hope for patients who are diagnosed before they become metastatic. Is that true? That is
2: true. I think that the focus we have now is can we identify more individuals who are at an early stage in which cancers
1: can be aggressively treated or even prevented? The type of cancer I'm used to seeing a lot of is colon cancer. And over the years, I've been told that there's a progression from adenomatous polyps to frank colon cancer, meaning that you can get in and perhaps do something early. And my question is, do you think there's a similar sequence in pancreatic cancer?
2: That's a very good question. And in fact, three important precursor lesions have been identified for pancreatic cancer. One of them is the intraductal papillary mucinin neoplasians or the IPMNs. And these are the tumors that tend to occur in older individuals in their 60s and 70s in which the pancreatic duct will be dilated with mucus. And there's both a branch duct IPMN and a main duct IPMN that have a little bit different prognosis. But in both cases, these are premalignant lesions that are suitable for surgery in many cases. There is also the mucinous cystic neoplasias, in which some cysts that are found, often incidentally through CT or MRI scanning, are found to have harborings of cancer or premalignant lesions and that can degenerate into frank cancer as well. Probably the most important advance has been a consensus by pathologists to define what is called the pancreatic intraepithelial neoplasias or intraductal Neoplasias. And these are IPMNs. These are a sequence that is very similar to what we see in colon cancer going through an adenoma to regular cancer. And this has allowed us to correlate genetic and cytologic findings and to understand something about the progression from normal pancreatic duct cells onto pancreatic cancer. So we are beginning to identify these early lesions, and with improved imaging studies and other technologies, we're beginning to find these, and now the question is, uh, what do they mean, and uh, what is the best way to address them? So we are seeing the similar pattern that we see in other diseases.
1: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark DeLegge. And joining me today to discuss biomarkers for cancer of the pancreas is Dr. David Wickham, professor of medicine, chief of the Division of Gastroenterology, and medical director of the Comprehensive Pancreas Program at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Well, David, it sounds like we need to get the pancreas cancer diagnosed early. I'm used to checking people for genetics for pancreatic cancer, meaning familial pancreatic cancer. What's the difference between, we'll say, checking for genetics and maybe having a biomarker or some marker that we can tell whether the patient does or does not have pancreatic cancer?
2: Well, there are two big differences here, and they're very important. The first one is risk, and what genetics tells you is what the molecular wiring diagram is of the pancreas or other organs. The environment is also very important because that identifies the context in which different types of stresses or other factors will act upon that underlying wiring diagram that can predispose to certain bad outcomes. A biomarker is a characteristic that is objectively measured and evaluated as an indicator of either a normal biological process or of a pathologic process or even as a pharmacologic response to a therapy. So the biomarker does not tell you whether or not the person's at risk. It tells you whether or not there's activity on a abnormal pathway. Is a cancer actively developing or is it growing or is it responding to therapy? So the genetic factors tell you risk, the biomarkers tell you activity.
1: Are you aware, David, of any way to reduce the risk of pancreatic cancer?
2: Well, we've been working, as you know, with uh, hereditary pancreatitis and other inherited diseases. We have a high-risk clinic And these are patients in which we know that the risk is very, very high. In hereditary pancreatitis, for example, smoking doubles the risk as it does with other individuals. But if you have a 40-fold lifetime risk and you double it to 80-fold, that's a big risk. Smoking also decreases the age of onset by 10 years. So stopping smoking is the most important thing that we recommend for preventing pancreatic cancer. Obesity turns out to be another important factor. A high body mass index greater than 25 kilograms per meter squared and also 30 have both been shown to be associated with a risk for cancer. Interestingly, exercise in obese people reduces the risk, but exercise in lean people has no effect. So there is some interesting biology that we don't fully understand. Vitamin D seems to be important. If individuals take greater than 600 international units of vitamin D, that has been shown to lower the risk of pancreatic cancer, although we are waiting for that to be confirmed. Obviously, a healthy lifestyle with fruits and vegetables, low amounts of fat and red meat, these in epidemiologic studies have shown to be associated with a lower rate of pancreatic cancer. What we would really like to do is to see ways of preventing cancer in high-risk individuals with things like novel immunization programs or chemopreventive agents or other things that are tolerable, inexpensive, and effective.
1: I'd like to thank my guest from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, Dr. David C. Whitcomb, for spending time with us today to discuss this very important topic, biomarkers for cancer of the pancreas, Dr. Wickham, thank you very much for being our guest this week on GI Insights.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: You have been listening to GI Insights
0: on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com and use promo code AGA. Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America is proud to sponsor this important and quality programming for ReachMD listeners. Takeda does not control the editorial content of this broadcast. The views expressed are solely those of the guests who are selected by the AGA Institute. Based in Deerfield, Illinois, Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America is a wholly owned subsidiary of Takeda Pharmaceutical Company Limited, the largest pharmaceutical company in Japan. In the United States, Takeda markets products for diabetes, insomnia, wakefulness, and gastroenterology and is developing products in the areas of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and other conditions. Takeda is committed to striving toward better health for individuals and progress in medicine by developing superior pharmaceutical products. To learn more about the company and its products, visit www.tpna.com.